Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Sam Red. Welcome to the first official episode of Red Carpet Talk. I'm looking forward to entertaining you guys each week with fun convos about film and television and maybe helping you learn something new in the process as well. With a guest or two, today my guest and I will be covering horror movies that we love. There's one major reason that I decided to start with this topic. Simply put, it gives me the chance to emphasize one of my main goals of this podcast, which is to highlight the points of being open-minded to all types of cinema. When I was younger, horror was a genre that I always avoided, partially due to fear. But in addition to that, I avoided it because I had a very narrow-minded view of the genre. At the time, I thought that it was a cheap excuse to scare people. As an adult, I now understand how truly prolific the genre is, how much creativity goes into creating memorable sequences, and how it can sometimes be used to comment on important issues and ideas. As a whole, the genre is way broader than most general movie-going audiences realize, and there are many sub-genres that exist within. In many ways, they mix it with other genres, even those you would expect it to clash with, like comedy. That is ultimately why I wanted to cover this topic for my very first podcast episode with my guest and friend Nick Cabal, who is a recent NYU grad that is one of the best writers that I know. So before this episode, Nick and I have created our own individual list of horror movies that we love, and now the two of us will discuss what we chose. Nick, let's start with you. What do you want to talk about first? Okay, so um, I guess the first uh, movie that came to my mind immediately when uh, you suggested that we do this uh, was The Babadook, uh, mm. which I am a really big fan of. Um despite its sort of evolution over time into like a meme i guess it's the fault of the 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 child actor but i'm a really big fan of it uh, nevertheless one of the main things i want people to realize when listening to this episode is that horror movies can be smart and i feel like that's actually has something to say you know it's like there's 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 a lot that i that i love about it a lot of the, the criticism that i see and that I've heard from people that I know it's, is that it's not scary, uh, which like totally wasn't my experience the first time I, I saw it. I mean, things get less scary on, on rewatches just generally. Um, but I think it's, I think it's really effective. I guess that's presuming that the premise like lands for you. It sort of plays into that, a uh, children are creepy, you know, trope. Um, but also, I don't know. There, there's, there's a lot that I like about it. I like, I like the, um, I like the design of the monster. Um, I like, you know, it, in a certain shots, it's it's kind of cheesy, like the practical effects. Um, but I think that in most cases, like the sound design really uh, carries the weight as far as the scares are concerned. So that's and that's to me essential when it comes to a horror movie. Um, mm. Getting the sound design right. Yeah, they use a lot of like insect sounds like i mean they establish like a connection with like cockroaches uh for the monster and like the cockroaches like exposing like the rot uh underneath the uh the protagonist's like uh relationship with her late husband um but they they really use the sort of like insect cicada like hissing cockroach like sound palette i guess uh, and it's it's really effective, at least for me. It sort of makes my skin crawl, and it like adds a lot to sort of 
you know, creeping dread. Also, I just think it's interesting, like, the film is just a metaphor for depression in general. Mm. That's usually when I hear people talk about the Babadook, that's usually what I hear about. And I think that's interesting. Yeah, 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 definitely. I I think there's a lot that can be taken from it. Anything else you want to add? Beyond that, I mean, I like the... I like the confinement of it. I, I like I like the limitation of the scope, right? Like I think that uh, horror movies work really well when they take the sort of the like known, established like things that you that you know and and like twist them. Uh, and so I in in that way I think that a lot of times really successful horror movies that you know really work for me they are really really focused and you know i think this is like possibly the result of you know or the the cause of a lot of horror movies focusing on like a location like being stuck in a cabin or what have you for sure Uh, but like in in this movie the sort of uh like the the slow degradation of the house set and how it sort of parallels you know the descent into madness you know, and, and you start to see things differently. And like the house goes from like mildly depressing to like just seething with evil malaise. And it's, I think that's a, that's part of it. And, and it's like, it manages to distance itself from the outside because like the outside uh, is usually like the breath of fresh air because it's where they, the, she and, and Samuel go to get away from you know, the monster in the house, so to speak. Uh, but they do a really good job at making the the monster, uh, it's, it's like jurisdiction expand uh, and follow them beyond the house. Um, so it like keeps drawing them in and they just, they just have to go to the source of it and face it. Yeah, it's super interesting. Unless there's something else you want to add, I think I'm going to go to um, my first choice. Mm. Are you okay with that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so um, I've a few that I wanted to mention, but um, before going into those, I wanted to briefly mention um, a classic, Jaws, which Uh. was probably my first horror movie I ever watched. That or that in Sixth Sense, but Jaws is, I mean, like completely changed cinema history forever by like creating the blockbuster basically. Right. And then my second honorable mention I wanted to bring up was um was the cabinet of dr caligari that's usually not a movie people think of when they think of horror but when you're talking about like the overall history of like film it's a silent like german expressionist film that very much influenced horror along with uh nosferatu in uh both of those films you see the aesthetic in um a lot of 1930s universal horror movies as well as just like modern day movies like Tim Burton, like his whole filmography is very much influenced by the aesthetic of um, German expressionism, like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And um, even though it's a movie from the 20s, I'm still years later creeped out by um, the by Caesar. I think they refer to him as the Somnibulus, basically like the sleepwalker. And he's played by um, Conrad Veidt, who um, is uh, Major Strasser in um, Casablanca, which is really interesting. But he's younger. 
in Cabinet Dakikaragari. So now that I'm finished talking about those, my first choice is Scream from the 90s. I love Scream. I think, like you said, a lot of people have this idea that when you watch a horror movie, it has to be scary. When I first watched Scream, I wasn't really totally scared by it. Probably the way some people were when it first came out. But I love it because it makes fun of the horror genre. It's clever. Um, I like how there's characters within the film that are like fans of horror movies and they make fun of the trope. I love the scene with like the janitor or something where he's wearing like a Freddy Krueger type sweater. It's just, it's such a iconic uh, horror movie that just totally reinvented um, the genre in a way that that was needed at the time and um, one of my just favorite horror scenes of all time is just the opening sequence where with Drew Barrymore where Ghostface is just like calling on the phone and he's basically asking her questions like who's the first killer in the first in the in Friday the 13th and the fact that like she guesses wrong and she says um it's Jason when it's actually Mrs. Voorhees is just so good because you get why she would say Jason instead of Mrs. Voorhees mm-hmm. and then she gets killed right afterwards and she's a big name star too so the fact that like they killed her off right away is just so clever and just the whole movie is just really funny but also really smart there's a lot of great death scenes like the garage scene in the middle of the film um the fact that the ghost face ends up being like um the main protagonist's boyfriend and like his friend it's just super clever but yeah um do you have any thoughts on scream i don't know i guess i'm always interested in in thinking about like why things evoke certain emotions uh and so i'm I'm curious to to hear what like what you think is like literally on or in the movie that like makes it as effective uh as it is for you to the extent that it's your first i just sorry for talking over you but um i just in general i'm a huge fan of movies that like deconstruct tropes and while it's not as scarier as some of the other ones on my list that I will mention later on, I love the ways it makes fun of the genre, which is personally why I think it's a good movie for like people, I think, who aren't necessarily a fan of like totally scary horror movies, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you want to like dip your toe in and like introduce someone who's kind of a scaredy cat like this is a good um what's your next choice so uh my next choice uh you will not be surprised to hear sam uh is definitely the witch um yes that yeah, yeah that's valid I, I had a feeling you were going to bring that up and that's oh, valid yeah, you do. for multiple reasons it's everything that i want in a movie it's atmospheric it's well written it's interesting beyond you know what's literally on the camera um there's there's just like it's like it's a very rich movie that has a lot um to sort of 
think about uh you know once it's over and you know i i have i have a lot of things that i love about it and very few things that i don't um i love the the use of period dialogue yeah that's very polarizing the fact that they did that oh for sure some people like it some people don't for sure i i definitely tell uh, everybody that i suggest it to to like if if like if you can't watch the trailer because there's the in the trailer the the father i forget the actor's name um he like does like a little narration of like a couple opening shots from the movie if you can't understand him on first pass watch it with subtitles um because it will it it definitely will pull you out of it if you're constantly trying to like dissect what what they're talking about but i think that it's definitely uh worth diving into you know i guess things that are really great about it for me are i guess just the way it's shot uh there's there's a really good consistent contrast between sort of like the you know like the sweeping uh, depth and it's something that is established really early like when they are expelled from uh the commune or the or the village or whatever uh and they you know arrive in the wilderness the, you know sort of like the, the far establishing shots to like show like the awe and the power of the landscape uh and and then it slowly like constricts inwards like the place the, the house that they build uh to live in it's you know it's very cramped and it, it sort of necessarily like puts everyone in like close proximity to each other it's really well done in that respect um i really like the sound or oftentimes lack of sound uh i think that the the score is good but it's very like typical you know it's very like typical like off-key strings which which is effective in a lot of cases um but i think many times there's a there's a moment where something will happen in the forest and it's just silent. Like for example, like the most, I guess the most iconic scene is uh, when Anya Taylor-Joy is with the baby and they do the peekaboo and then he's gone and it's just holds on silence. Like it just, it just lets the, like the subject speak for itself. Like there's no like swell uh, or sting of music to like, drive home the shock and it, in that way it feels realistic in a, in a sense in that there's a lot of moments where it feels like that's exactly what it would feel like to be there uh where it's just you know just dread as you sort of the gears turn in your head and you piece together that what just happened is scary like it doesn't it doesn't always tell you that you should be scared of something it just sort of lets you think it over and like experience it alongside the characters on screen yeah i think that's something that's really awesome about it for sure i told yeah yeah it's interesting because um the witch is was um distributed by a24 which Mm. is like one of my favorite studios and they have a lot of like solid horror movies like besides the witch they've also done like um movies directed by Ari Aster like mm-hmm. Hereditary and like Midsummer, and they also released The Lighthouse with like Robert Pattinson and it's interesting but also Robert Eggers oh yeah you're right about yeah, that I didn't realize that 
You're right. It's just in general, but like the witch is the one I hear about the most. Like I feel like if you were like making a list of like best horror movies, that's like one that would probably pop up more than the other ones that I mentioned. I feel like part of why, like, a lot of times, especially nowadays, like, uh, you know, I guess even, like, not technically indie, but, like, small, smaller budget, like, smaller distribution uh, horror movies tend to be, like, you know, a little bit more effective is that I think that the sort of limitation in scope uh, of something like The Witch and a lot of the things that, that you know, a lot of things that come out of a24 uh they're really good at keeping the movies focused and letting sort of letting them breathe you know what i mean they they're not yeah. too they're not too plot driven because a lot of times there isn't that much in in like a horror movie there's a lot of nothing happening which is in a way like a lot of things happening you know because it's like if you're in an uh, a situation that's like an existential crisis or a threat to your life just like holding on that and letting it just stew is like it really achieves a lot uh at least for me as a viewer uh and you know sort of trying to achieve too much in terms of plot uh sometimes makes movies like less scary for me even though that's also this flip side is that that's also probably a huge source of people saying that a lot of you know, modern horror movies are boring. Like, this is a criticism of The Witch, is that there's not that much that happens, and it's, like, pretty predictable. Um, I mean, it doesn't even really try to be unpredictable. I mean, like, the film establishes, now we're just going to, like, be miserable in this horrible, run-down, depressing place and have to deal with this, like, outside force that, you know, turns out to literally be the devil it within like the first four minutes of screen time that like the witch exists so there's not even like the sort of progression and like the first act of like no the monster doesn't actually exist it's like it exists yeah i'm really glad you brought that up i feel like it's a really relevant horror movie right now i mean even though it is more modern it did come out in like 2015 so it isn't like super as new yeah definitely horror movies released since then but right now like more than ever i feel like anya taylor joy is like super popular right now especially like following queen's gambit you know yeah yeah for so like if you're an anya taylor joy fan because of queen's gambit or like split definitely check out the witch for sure yeah this was the first thing that i saw her in um you know, when I saw this, I had no idea who she was. And, like, this, like, she is amazing in this. Like, she's... Oh, she's just a she's, great actress in general. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, she's totally the focus of this. I mean, like, the whole cast is really good, including, you know, somewhat astonishingly, like, the child and animal actors are all really good. Um, but, like, she is, like, without a doubt, MVP. She's amazing. Uh, yeah, I would not be surprised if at some point she got like nominated for like an oscar or won an oscar so oh, it's totally. like she is just so talented like mm. she is definitely going to at some point in my opinion so i think i want to go into my next choice um we mm. both seem to be choosing mainly like more modern horror movies 
I mean, besides like my honorable mentions, of course, my next movie is actually something I watched with you, which is Invisible Man, the 2020 Mm -hmm. version. I really think this is a good example of how to do a remake correct. I've watched the original Invisible Man from the 1930s with Claude Rains, the French guy in Casablanca. In the original Invisible Man, um, if you've seen it, he's just having like so much fun just like terrorizing people there's literally like one scene where like you just see this old lady running away screaming and then a couple seconds later you just see a pair of pants like chasing after her it's just this movie is so fun you can tell Claude Rains had such a fun time but to me it doesn't have as much to say as the new Invisible Man I love the way it's like shy I love her acting Elizabeth Moss in there And just overall, I like the way they updated it and made it a fun horror movie, but they also made it where it's saying something about, like, abusive relationships. I think her boyfriend's name is Adrian, if I recall correctly. He's basically just gaslighting her because she knows that he is there but no one else believes her and i think it's super interesting they the way they capture that and this movie is a does a good job at making you empathize i think with victims of gaslighting honestly and i think it's but it's not on the nose i feel like a lot of times with a lot of like modern movies when it comes to incorporating like issues related to females a lot of times you'll hear criticisms of oh it's too woke but like I feel like this movie does it in a way where it's not too on the nose so you can still enjoy it if you just want a fun horror movie you know either you don't have to think if you don't want to yeah yeah definitely and this is a this is a movie that I I think when when I watched it with you I was sort of like lukewarm on it uh I rewatched it a couple months ago and I liked it much more the second time. Uh, and and I think that uh, your point about it being, you know, primarily, although subtly, about uh, abuse is is really really important. Like the the fact that there's an invisible guy who's stalking and attacking Elizabeth Moss is like off putting, but it's not really scary. Agree, I, which is why what, I don't i have it lower on my list no 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 no. i mean i don't i don't think it's i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing i think that the movie is actually scary but i think that the scariest part of that uh, the scariest part of it is adrian like the man Mm -hmm. himself like not him as the monster in the invisible suit i think that like the way that he manipulates and and abuses her uh, along with his brother, I think the way that they sort of they control her and and you know just completely, you know, eventually sort of break her. Uh, yeah, they you know, do. They you know, make they do make her break. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because at the end, she's totally changed. You know, after she kills him, she's sort of started to play their game a little bit, like with the deception. Um, and I think that's what's really scary about it, and less so, you know, because if if you don't pay, if you don't tune into that it's sort of like, it, it's almost like a slasher movie where no one dies. Yeah. Or like very few people die. Um, but like when when you like really pay attention to how horribly, like morally disgusting these people are and how awfully they treat Elizabeth Moss char- Moss's character, 
uh, I think that's where like it gets a lot of its horror, and I think it's it's really good uh, for doing that. Agreed. Another thing on Invisible Man, not not to like you know hijack your movie or anything, but I really just really quickly, I really like how clean this movie is. Yes. Like, not just aesthetically, but it's like it's like it doesn't. It sort of purposely like skirts around some of like the tropes, like uh, like the detective who she stays with, you know, of course is initially James. like, yeah, he's he's skeptical of like the whole thing, but it's like when people get the relevant information, it's like there's they don't like sort of like dilly dally on the like oh I don't know, you know, it's like they sort of it's it's like very efficient and it's very very sharply written, it, it like really it really clips along. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Since it is very clean, not just aesthetically, like you said, and I like the way you worded that. But so, um, how about we go? We talk about your next choice. Sure, sure. So, uh, I guess I should clarify my my films are like not really in an order. Uh, they're just fine. all things Don't that worry. I find interesting. Yes, um, yeah, I get that. I know but, for me it's not definitive either because yeah, 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 it's just yeah. too tough. Yeah. Yeah, but uh my next film was The Thing. The yeah, 80s I had a feeling John you were Carpenter bring this up. Yeah, you know, you know I love this movie. You know, it's a little bit of an older style and I, I think it doesn't have quite as like bleak an outlook as uh some of the other ones we mentioned do. Of course, like the ending is very bleak. Uh, with them like freezing to death, um, distrusting each other, like because one of them could be the thing. Um, but I think that they they sort of hold um, their spirits through the whole thing. I mean, at least like Kurt Russell does. Um, but I, I I really enjoy this. It's it's like it's like a it's like an eighties monster movie with awesome practical effects, but it does not coast on its effects alone. There's a lot. There's a lot that's sort of cleverly set up uh, in the writing and in sort of the subtle ways that it's made that sort of make it uh, really effective. And you know, people uh, tend to like dislike or or have a disdain for like jump scares. Um, you know, especially now. Um, you know, because like we've all sort of collectively decided that horror doesn't really need them. Um, but this movie has what are, in my opinion, some really good jump scares that are established. It really does a lot to like earn the one that the ones that it gets. Uh, and there are a lot of like clues as to where they're coming. Uh, but that's also part of, it's also sort of inherent to the premise in that like, you don't know who the monster is at any given time. Um, and so, you know, you're going to be surprised. Like the characters are surprised when the monster is revealed and, and attacks someone. I think translating that to the audience's experience is really important. Um, but also, I I think that this movie is really good at sort of not using dramatic irony, sort of in an opposite way to the witch. Like the witch immediately establishes that the witch exists. And then you sort of watch the family tear themselves apart, trying to like grapple with whether or not this threat is real. Uh, and the thing sort of takes it the you know completely opposite strategy in that like you've 
almost never know who the thing is. Uh, you know, and you so you're sort of stuck in the situation with these characters, and you have you know there's there's moments where you're concerned that the thing is you know a character that you like or you know or you think it's this person because of the way that they're acting uh but it turns out that they're just acting that way because they're a human being in a horrible frightening situation and you know sort of like the monster is in a lot of ways like unnecessary to sort of like break people down um sort of the isolation is effective enough on its own to do that and i think sort of like uh what's his name it's blair uh wilford brimley's character like he's a really good example of sort of keeping the audience in the dark uh alongside um the characters because it's you know of course by the end of the movie he is the thing um but it's not it's not clear at which point that's true i mean he sort of has that freak out uh after he sorts out like how the monster works because he's like the biologist at the research station uh and he sort of like freaks out and tries to destroy all the outside equipment because he like he decides that the best hope for civilization is to let the thing run itself out of hosts in the base and not let it escape to the outside and so for that uh the other characters try to stop him and they lock him outside in the shed uh because they think he's the thing and i think the movie leads you to think that maybe he's not the thing when he first is taken to the shed uh but by the end he certainly is and so it's there's a lot of intentional like blurring of the lines but what is and isn't the monster and you could even look at it in the way that if he if we assume that he's not the monster when he's confined to the shed it he's sort of is made the monster by his comrades like by imprisoning him there they doom him to his ultimate fate uh and so it you know it's 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 another way that the film shows sort of the the stress and the anxiety of of the threat in isolation sort of drives the the humans to like you know sort of do some of the monsters work for it so yeah there's a lot of things i love about this movie I mean, it's a classic for a reason. It, it's interesting because I was talking about Invisible Man, the 2020 version, which is technically a remake. And a lot of people don't realize that um, John Car- Carpenter's technically a remake as well. Yeah. There's a 1950s version. Have you seen that or no? I haven't seen it. I know of it. I, I, I've seen parts of it. It's sort of, it's like a, like a 50s, like, sci-fi like b movie yeah uh I get that. also based on a based on a short story from a few decades before that which i also haven't read but i as far from my understanding is a little bit closer to the carpenter version it's less of just like a monster flick than the 50s one definitely the 50s is definitely an era of like b movies so mm-hmm. it's definitely like it makes sense that it would go in that vein you know yeah like campy i mean john carpenter is just he's a huge figure when it comes to uh the horror genre yeah Um, between this and halloween you know i think there's a there's a shot of a thing from another world in halloween isn't there really 
Yeah, I think I think it I think it like cameos on a TV screen at one point. That's a fun fact. I didn't realize that. I that's could be wrong the, about that. I gotta check that out. <laughs> the next time I watch, that's super interesting. I love yeah. everything you had to say about the thing. I wish I had something to add, but like I feel like you covered all the bases. That it's like I don't even know what to add, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm trying to think. Let's go with. I feel like I just keep mentioning modern stuff. I mean, that's just what I chose. I want to talk. Um, about Jordan Peele. I honestly love what he's doing for the horror uh, as a whole. Um, while most people um, prefer Get Out, Us resonates with me f- more for some reason. Um, but I love both movies. I like him as a director because even if you don't like the movie initially, like Get Out was one I didn't like as much as most people did, but I recently rewatched it and it's one of those movies, both Us and Get Out are movies that there's so many subtle details that like set up like important ideas that like show up in the later half of the movie. Since I'm a huge fan of like overanalyzing movies and dissecting movies, I think Jordan Peele is a fun director to watch as someone who's a fan of genre films, whether it be like horror or like science fiction. Or, like, even fantasy. I think it's important to have people of color in um, genre films. So I love that he's creating these narratives centered around diverse protagonists. He has his own production studio. I think it's called Monkey Paw, named after, like, the short story. Mm. I don't know if you ever read Monkey Paw. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I love that short story, by the way. But... um, but yeah, yeah I love I like that he's also like supporting other creators, whether it be TV or film. Like there's the upcoming Candyman movie that's coming out in 2021, where I think it's being directed by Nia Dakoff. So he, and he's producing that. And then he also, if I'm correct, I think he also produced Lovecraft Country. It's just it's interesting that he's not only directing his own movies but he's also supporting other um black creators in um the horror genre whether it be tv or film and i think that's just great that he's doing that in general but um the reason i um love us more than get out is i personally like the idea of duality mm-hmm. in us um i am a gemini well i don't believe in astrology <laughs> no, like Gemini's have the like evil twin thing, you know, like the good and the bad. You don't know what you're gonna get type thing. So I like, I don't know. There's something about this movie and the way it presents duality that's super compelling. Um, I think the performances are just very solid. I mean, Get Out also has really good performances as well. But like Lupita Nyong'o is just, oh my god. If I'm correct, her characters are Red and then the other one is Adelaide, I think. Yeah, Adelaide. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was Adelaide. It took me a second to remember. But um, yeah, I like the duality between those two characters. Winston Duke doesn't get as much love as she does, but he also gives a very good performance to if you've seen him in like black panther where he's mbaku versus like in the nerdy father in here 
versus like his other alter ego it's like comp- three completely different people he's such a good actor um i think the thing though that makes me like this movie slightly more than i do get out is the soundtrack i this is it's such a good soundtrack um i remember when the first time i watched the trailer for us theater you hear i got five on it and they're like snapping along to it i just remember i was a huge fan of that song but i love the way that um jordan peele remixed it in like the slow version that he included in this movie um there's other songs too that don't get mentioned as much as i got five on it like in the beginning i think they're in the car and they're driving and they're listening to janelle monet i think i like that i think is the song that's playing if i recall correctly and i'm a huge janelle monet fan so i love that and then they also have like the beach boys at one point um good vibrations and then they have f the police by nwa it just it's a solid soundtrack so i think that's the only reason i know like a lot of people say there's a lot of like plot holes and stuff in comparison to get out i think get out also has some plot holes too personally in my opinion they're not perfect movies but i love what they have to say of issues in society what they both have to say about like systematic racism as a whole I think it's really interesting. I think there's multiple ways you can interpret us. I remember the first time I watched it, I saw it as like a way of commenting on like mass incarceration. I've talked to other people and they have other interpretations of it. It just, it's one of those movies that's interesting to analyze and just discuss with people. Same with Get Out. And I think I'm excited to see his future work for that reason. I mean, you gotta appreciate uh, Jordan Peele for you know the continued sort of elevation and like the popular imagination of like smart horror and sort of using yes. the genre as a way to sort of literally manifest a deep-rooted cultural or societal issue and and sort of really explore sort of the depth to which it can it can affect you know a human so for sure totally agree with you I can't wait to see what he directs in the future. I can't wait to see what he, what other projects he supports that he's not creating, but he's just helping produce. It just, he is definitely, I love him. And I also like other directors like Ava DuVernay and just like even Tyler Perry. They're not only like directing their own movies, but they're also helping other creators too, which I think is important in this industry. You can go next. Sure, sure. So my... My final fourth and final film is, I guess, my like, well, I don't guess. It's definitely like my wild card pick. I'm not sure that I would call this uh, a favorite film of mine, but it, it's something that I that I really enjoyed um, and find interesting as sort of a part of, of the genre. Um, and that's the, it's a 2017 film. It's The Ritual. Um, which might be a little bit out of left field because it's a pretty uh, standard, you know, like monster film without any sort of larger overarching purpose. But I think that it, but yeah, it does, it does a really good job at, at, uh, at using the atmosphere of sort of like the dark sort of old growth forest uh, and, and the monster is really interesting uh the like the reveal when they arrive in the clearing 
that like the monster is like this like Norse god that like has like this captive population of humans that it like preys upon in the middle of this forest. You know, it, of course it's it's a lot corny, um, not just a little bit, but I don't know. For for some reason, it really works. And I, when I watched this movie, I read about it before I watched it, and I was like fully prepared to hate it. Uh, but it was really a good time. Uh, kind of shockingly, uh, there's there's a lot of it. Sort of embodies that I guess subcategory of horror really really well, uh, and it uses a lot of sort of the the tools of of the genre to to be really effective. So um, it's like um, these guys are taking a walk. They're going on a hike in Scandinavia and it's going to take them like three days to go around like, or, like mountain ridges. And it'll be much faster if they cut through this really dense forest. And so they do that. And this sort of eldritch monster starts pursuing and terrorizing them. Uh, and they have to sort of, you know, contend with that, and they mostly fail. Um, but it, it really uses its atmosphere really well, uh, sort of using like the the like the spatial anonymity of like a forest. It's it's very ambiguous, um, sort of where they're situated at any given time. You know, the film doesn't include any sort of like, you know, like any sort of like progress bar. Uh, like you're you're never really sure how far they are from the escape, um, and sort of they as they lose their minds they get worse and worse at you know finding their way through a uh, forest without a map of course um just general you know like visual uh fright to it it's it it doesn't really leave you thinking um like a lot of the other movies that we've talked about do um but it's it's really effective even if it's on sort of a a fairly shallow level so i think i think it's interesting nonetheless especially in contrast with some of the more you know uh symbolic and you know culturally relevant uh films that we've discussed so far it's interesting since i'm actually like not entirely familiar with this film but i like the way you described it so, yeah, I I'd say it's like I'd say it's like a popcorn horror movie. Like uh I think I think it's a Netflix exclusive. It's like a British production, um but I don't recall ever seeing it outside of streaming. It is quite a lot of fun. It's like a it's like a really well-done sort of subversion of like modern horror and it's sort of it, it's like closer to something else you mentioned earlier. It's like it's closer to jaws than it is to any of the the more contemporary uh things that that we've talked about and yeah like part of that is you know it's a it's like a streaming movie so like of course it's not you know meant to be thought-provoking uh but i i found it surprisingly effective on me as sort of a piece of like horror film um, so I would recommend it, uh, kind of surprisingly when I, when I first watched it, I did not expect that I would be saying that, but it's, it's, it's fun as long, as long as you don't ask too much of it. <laughs> Got it. No, I'll definitely check that out. So, um, we're going to go with my final choice, which is a classic, um, The Shining. 
of course. But instead of talking about The Shining, since The Shining has been talked about a ton, and there's literally like documentaries <laughs> on like all the interpretations. Um, but instead of talking about that, I wanted to talk about its sequel, Doctor Sleep, which I think is a really underrated horror movie. I think Mike Flanagan, I think that's the director of Doctor Sleep. Yep. He is a really good horror director. His films are not like perfect, but he's just so good. If I think he also he does TV shows too. If I think he did um like Haunting of Hill House. This was my introduction to Mike Flanagan, and I just absolutely love this movie. It should have not worked at all because it's literally a sequel to The Shining, which is like one of the greatest horror movies of all time. Yet he managed to pull it off. Like he made a really solid movie. This movie is so creepy. The performances are so solid whether it's like Ewan McGregor as um adult version of Danny or just Rebecca Ferguson as um I, she's I think Rosie the Hat or like something like that some like weird name and she is so creepy in this movie I um most people probably know her from like the Mission Impossible franchise um or like I think she was in The Greatest Showman but like in this movie she's like basically trying to like um absorb all of the energy that comes from like like the shining like powers for herself so she can like live longer and I just there's this one scene in particular with her and Jacob Tremblay it was so creepy this movie but yeah this movie should have not worked at all and yet it somehow does and I cannot recommend it enough if you're a fan of The Shining. Yeah, that's that's really interesting that you that you went with Doctor Sleep. Uh, I was I considered uh, putting The Shining on my list, but exactly. Then I, I but mean, then I said no. Sam probably has The Shining on her list, so that's insane. <laughs> like everyone, when you're talking about like best horror movies, everyone has The Shining, which is why I was I considered it for a second mentioning it but then i was ultimately like no everyone knows the shining or let me talk um its sequel which i don't think gets enough love personally even but it's also more recent too so maybe in a few like a decade from now you'll hear more people talk about it in time but yeah i it's it's a solid movie that i think would more you people would you need to watch would you call it a sleeper um i <laughs> could just it could be a cult classic i think at some point yeah i can totally see it being for those who have who don't like kubrick's take on um or have criticisms on kubrick's take of the shining of his version of the shining in the 80s i think this version definitely incorporates more elements that are in the book that kubrick didn't incorporate you know um, it does a good job of being a sequel to not only the book, but also a sequel to Kubrick's version. It kind of like is a good middle ground between both films that act kind of like a mediator almost, which I thought was really interesting. Um, do you have any more thoughts? No, I think I think you you hit a lot of I think you hit a lot of what's interesting about it. So I think um, we talked for a bit, but like it was a really fun conversation. 
and I, yeah, it seems definitely. like we are about done so thank you for joining us nick Be sure to check out future Red Carpet Talk episodes where I will chat with other guests that are just as good as Nick. You can listen to Red Carpet Talk on apps such as Spotify. After listening, be sure to subscribe. You can also give suggestions for future episodes by sending in voice messages via the link provided in the episode description. And you can also follow Red Carpet Talk social media accounts for, so- for exclusive updates both on Instagram and Twitter, which are at Red Carpet Talk. Red is spelled with two Ds. Thank you for listening.